Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Will Smith to my Chris Rock. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, are you Team Will Smith or Team Chris Rock? I'm Team Everybody Who's in the Wrong in that situation. Just... You're, you're Team Liam Payne then. <laughs> oh, no, I wouldn't. no, definitely not Team Liam Payne. He was, he was, uh, yeah, quite the character. Um, no, I just don't think uh, I don't think anyone comes out of that with their heads held high. Let's be honest. I enjoyed Liam Payne's interview, how he had about 50 different accents in that two-minute interview. He sounded a bit like, have you ever watched Green Street? Oh, yeah. The guy, I can't remember his name, he's in Sons of Anarchy as well. The guy in that is trying to do a Cockney accent. He does so many different accents, apart (laughs) from Cockney. It's unbelievable. But the, the Chris Rock, Will Smith thing... See, it seems like ages ago now, but it was only Monday. We're so behind the times, Justin. Well, yeah, well, it was a while ago, and it's still it's still taking up clicks and and social spaces, and it's still the main talking point. And if we want to, yeah, we we could talk about it for the next half an hour, but we're not going to because we've got other things to focus on. Do we? Could we just talk about that instead? <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose. I mean, Chris Rock should have made many a joke about Will Smith's previous films I think that could have warranted a slap but then again Will Smith's been slapping us in the face for a long time with said poor films he's been making unpopular opinion <laughs> I struggle to think of many good Chris uh, not Chris Rock films although I struggle to think of them as well uh, many good Will Smith films I haven't seen the one that he got actually won best actor for but apart from that Seven Pounds was boring Hancock boring Men in Black he was he was early on when he was still a comedy character Independence um, Pursuit Day. of Happiness That's... Pursuit of Happiness was a good film um, Independence Day I haven't actually seen that um, and the one where he's the last person on earth what was that one? Legend that was crap as well I am Legend I am Legend um, yeah with the dog, yeah. And um, shall we talk about football, Justin? <laughs> we may That's as well the main reason we're why we're here, I suppose. <laughs> Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. So we're going to be looking ahead to the upcoming games in the championship this weekend. Of course, we're fully into the business end of the season now, and I think this could be another weekend where things toss and turn all over the place. So we'll go through some of the big games coming up this weekend. I mean. I say some of the big games. There are so many big games happening this weekend. We've got a mini derby weekend and Cardiff v Swansea, the South Wales derby is the last one in our running order because of uh, some of the other games that are happening that are just so important in the grand scheme of things. So we'll talk about them, talk about some of the news from the past few days and then we could have a winner in the Craig Bryson pub quiz by the end of this episode, ladies and gentlemen. So you've got that to look forward to. But before we jump into the show, may I tell you, listener, about our friends at Fansbet, the fan-led sports betting company 
committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. Do check them out by clicking the link in the description of this episode. They've got an exclusive offer for listeners to the second tier. You can get a welcome offer of bet £10, get £30 plus 10 free spins. Not bad, eh? UK mobile registrations only. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site 18 plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info and do, do also check out Fansbet Responsible Gambling Tools. Barnsley v Reading is where we shall start off this weekend. A six-pointer if ever there was one. And, I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than this really, Justin. It's the two teams who both have the most likely chance of staying up out of the bottom four. And it's monumental, isn't it? No, oh, it's it's massive. It's massive. And as you say, I think Reading can go into this game knowing a draw will, will suit them better than Barnsley. Barnsley have got to go into it thinking they've got to win. Um, there's, there's no point, as I say, from a Barnsley perspective going into this game, just trying to get a result. Um, I think that Reading-Peterborough game a few weeks ago where it felt like a big six-pointer then, wasn't a classic. It was a really poor game and both teams were really, really poor. But Barnsley, as I say, got to head into this with that mindset of if we don't win, then we can probably kiss goodbye to to, to staying in this league. And Reading, as I say, got to keep got to keep Barnsley out. They've got to stay strong. And they've got to keep that mentality of avoiding defeat. I think, as I say, it probably suits Reading in that perspective more than it suits Barnsley. Well, let me ask you this. If the relegation, would the relegation battle, in your view, be pretty much concluded if Reading won? Yeah, it's it's hard to say if it was be if it would be pretty much concluded, but I would be eighty eighty five percent sure that Reading will stay up if they if they beat Barnsley. Yeah, an eight point gap, which could potentially be created if Reading do win. That's big, isn't it? With mm-hmm. seven games remaining, and keep in mind as well, two of the teams down there haven't exactly been picking up you know eight points on a regular basis, have they? Exactly. So yeah. that's why I'd say if Reading do win. I think that's pretty much it for the relegation battle, unless Reading just don't win a game for the rest of the season. And one of the other teams went on probably their best runs of the season. I struggled to see anything different, quite frankly. Um, So looking at the perspective from the teams looking in on this game, those being Derby and Peterborough, what would be the best result for them? Would it be a Barnsley win, which would be a strange turn of events, wouldn't it? Urging one of your relegation rivals to actually win a game. Yeah, I guess from the outside in, you'll be thinking a draw. Draw will suit everybody here. But actually, yeah, Barnsley, Barnsley taking points off Reading will keep the likes of um, Peterborough and Derby still in still in the race as long as they pick up points as well um, at, uh, at the weekend. As, um, so, yeah, I think I think yeah, Barnsley beating Reading would, would suit Derby and, uh, and Peterborough very, very nicely. And, yeah, you, you could see a lot of a lot of those supporters wearing Barnsley, Barnsley hats at the weekend. Yeah, it's a strange one in that sense, but I suppose what it does mean is if, for example, if Barnsley do win, then the points gap for a team like Derby, for example, is still just eight points, isn't it? It doesn't get bigger, Um, and Derby will be hoping that they can get uh, three points on the board this weekend against Preston as well, who haven't been in the greatest of form. Um, So looking at this game, Justin, how do you see it actually going? Yeah, there's there's a lot of variables at play as well. Reading's away record is... A little bit better than the home record, both not great, but they they go into it probably with a little bit more confidence. But saying that, they lost Andy Renamotta and Yaku Mete for the rest of the season, and Paul Ince has gone on record to say that over the international break, he only had twelve players to to play with, 
well, train with, um, uh, yeah, over the last couple of weeks, which isn't ideal preparation. So I think Barnsley might be edging, edging the game for me. I, I would put Barnsley as slight favourites for this and would favour them for a win more than more than Reading in this one. I agree with you. I think Barnsley. If, I, for the, the first thing that comes to my head is how poor all four of the teams down there have been away from home this season. All of them have been absolutely garbage. So I think it will depend on who has the best home form for the remainder of the season. And Barnsley heading into this, being the home side, will be thinking, yeah, we we need to be getting three points here. And I would slightly favour them as well. They've only lost one in the last four. Um, In the games that they have played recently, they haven't been picking up as many wins as they were doing initially in that, you know, bounce back under Poyo as Bargy, but they've still been playing a lot better than they were earlier in the season, obviously, when they just couldn't pick up any points for love nor money. So, yeah, I'm sliding slightly towards Barnsley. I think if they get the likes of Carino on the ball as much as possible, I don't know what Carlton Morris's injury situation is. But having players like them in top form, and it'll be difficult to see anything other than a Barnsley result, really. Um, but Reading have, you know... They've had the last couple of games, haven't they, where they have picked up again after looking like they were getting a bit desperate themselves. And just anything that's not a loss here, I think, would be a good result for them, wouldn't it? So just in, just before we move on to the next game, what is your score prediction for this one? I think it'll be a low-scoring game. I'll edge towards a 1-0 Barnsley win, possibly possibly another set-piece goal from, from Helic or, or maybe even Anderson, or if Morris is fit, yeah. Yeah, definitely set-piece for me. I struggle to separate these sides too much and I think it will be low scoring and sometimes when it comes to big games like this it does often be the case where you know the pressure gets to both teams doesn't it so mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if it is a draw but I'm sliding slightly towards Barnsley as we were just alluding to the next big game this weekend is Hull v Huddersfield which is massive for the playoff battle really because no team needed the international break more than this Huddersfield side did they? Yeah, you're spot on. They sort of limped into the international break and they've had to play a lot of games. That um, unbeaten run they went on again can take a lot out of you mentally because you're just chipping away and chipping away. And you, when you get to a point where you're only sort of eight, nine, ten games away from the end of the season, your mind starts to wander, I imagine, as a as a player and maybe as a manager, if if you can stay in this form. And it's, it's very difficult to stay in that form as well. Um, yeah, your mind, might, your mind might start to wonder, but looking at Hull's form um, and, and Huddersfield coming off the back of a, a fresh start, shall we say, you'd, you'd start to think, OK, you, yeah, you'd be licking your lips as a Huddersfield fan thinking this this is a really good chance for us to to pick up and, and get going once again. As I say, it's now we're now into that territory of the season where it's a, where it's a mini-season for a lot, of these, a lot of these teams. Well, let's make no bones about it. Huddersfield were awful in the two games prior to the international break. If it wasn't for Lee Nichols being in top form, they could have easily lost those two games by, you know, 10 goals on aggregate. So the international break coming at that time will either go one of two ways. It will either be a case where Huddersfield will appreciate having the chance to, you know, restart things and just get going again, or those two performances will linger in their mind and will have a massive impact on how they do for the remainder of the season. Would you go as far to say this is a must-win for Carlos Corbran's boys, especially considering as well something we haven't mentioned yet? They've got three very tricky games coming up against teams also challenging for the playoffs. I would I wouldn't say it was a must-win. I think it's a, a a performance where they sorry, a game where they need to hit those performance levels once again. Uh, be very difficult to break down because as you mentioned the last two games Lee Nichols being a very busy boy. They need to they need to restrict teams 
creating chances against them. And and this, you know, Hull are a good team. I know that they're, they're down sort of towards low lower half of the table or towards the bottom of the table, but they are a good team. They've got some very good players and they will create chances against you. So being in a position where you can set foundations for this, as I say, mini-season, I think is, is, is the best thing to do. And, and, and Huddersfield are one of those teams that are set up to be hard to score against and will try and hit you first, essentially, um, which will suit them more in this game and going towards the end of the season, which is why I think they'll stay in the playoffs. So I think it's a, a game where they need, need to increase and up their performance levels as opposed uh, compared to the last couple of games that they've played. I disagree. I think it is a must-win for Huddersfield because you look at this, if their form from before the international break continues into this game, then you look at the games they've got next, Luton, QPR, Middlesbrough, pretty much as tricky as it gets without it, including the teams in the automatic promotion battle, really, doesn't it? So it, it, I think it's a must-win for them. Hull have flattered to deceive on plenty of occasions this season, and it's difficult to nail down where exactly they are as a side. They have had plenty of games where they've struggled in terms of going forwards. So I think it's just a case of getting Huddersfield back to being the defensive masters that they were before <laughs> and just keeping it as solid at the back as possible. And if they do that, then they'll go some way to getting a result from this game. And um, as I say, I think it is a must win. And I'd be very concerned if Huddersfield came out of this without three points on the board. Uh, just in a score prediction from you then. Again, I think it will be a close game. I think most games after international breaks, quite a lot of players will be quite rusty. Um, so I think it'll be a slow game at times. So again, I'll, I'll go over one nil win, but I'll edge towards Huddersfield in this one. Hull have lost the last five games at home. I just can't see them going visible here. I have absolutely no idea how this game is going to go. <laughs> um, I'm sensing a lack of goals, so I'll go for a nil-nil draw, just basically purely on the standpoint that I have no idea where this is going to go. But I do think there will be a lack of goals because both sides have struggled recently. QPR v Fulham just in a West London derby and one team drastically needs points more than the other in this one. And that is, of course, QPR, who are seemingly on the slide heading into this, aren't they? Yeah, spot on. Um, I, I think I said in the last, uh, uh, the last episode, I don't think they'll get into the top six. I know Charlie Austin has come out and tweeted since, um, not in response to the video at all, but he's it, basically, it's a bit of a rallying cry to get rid of the negativity surrounding the team at the moment. And and, and fair enough, but I, I just can't see them if, and this isn't a criticism of Mark Warburton, but if you persist with the same style of play, I just can't see them getting result. I think he's got to change things slightly and adapt to the players that he's got available to him. Willock being out is a is a huge huge blow. It's almost fifty percent of their creativity gone. So if they if they can adapt to the forwards that they've got available to them in in, in Dykes, obviously he, he's back fit, and Charlie Austin who's who's back fit as well. I think they could maybe get a result, but defensively I don't think they're good enough to keep out this Fulham team. Absolutely no way. Well, how do QPR get a result? without Chris Willock then? I, I don't expect an easy answer to that question just because I think it's exactly what Mark Warburton's been thinking for the last two weeks. But what what would you say was the best way to go about it? Uh, I, yeah. It's so difficult with this QPR team. I think if you can save any other team, you can say, oh, maybe be a bit more defensive, put a few more players behind the ball, be a bit harder to beat. Uh, it's very simplistic, but I don't think QPR are good enough to, to do that. Um, I don't think they're good enough to be a keep 10 men behind the ball side, side, um, type of team and I don't think the supporters will want to see it and I don't think Warburton will want to see it so I think it's a case of utilising your wing backs as much as, much as possible um, keeping Stefan Johansson fit 
um, playing Luke Amos as maybe as, a, as an auxiliary number 10 with Chair and maybe Austin or Dykes up front, I think that's that's the, the best route forward. I think Luke Amos has been in really good form. So definitely playing him, I think, is, is the way forward and maybe dropping Jeff Hendrick as well, who's a player who has been out of form. But as you say, replacing Chris Willock is like, I don't know, what... I'm finding it hard to, to to describe. How do you replace someone of his ability? You can't. It's as simple as that. Well, you have got to remember, right? QPR in the second half of last season were amazing, yeah. weren't they? If they weren't so poor in the first half of the season, then they could have had a. They would have been in the playoffs, quite frankly, mm-hmm. weren't they? Um, and during that second half of the season, by and large, it was without Chris Willock. He was nowhere near the player that he has been this season and was almost a bit part player for certain parts of that run. All they've got to do is just go back to being that side. Of course, easier said than done, but if you get the likes of Austin back in form, um, something that he has lacked for the vast majority of the season, um, defensively, they've got to stiffen up a lot more. I struggle to see them keeping a clean sheet against Fulham this weekend just because they have been so leaky at the back. Um, But Warburton has got to change things around, hasn't he? And I think you're Mm -hmm. absolutely right. Giving someone like Amos a go in particular someone who he doesn't seem to be 100% convinced about for whatever reason. I think that's one way of going about it and giving someone like Jeff Hendrick a break who QPR fans certainly haven't been too impressed by in the time that he's been there. But Mark Warburton will be encouraged by Fulham's last couple of performances, a draw to Barnsley and a loss to West Brom certainly shows that uh, they're not in the greatest of Nick right now. Justin, can I get a score prediction from you, please? I think Fulham are a very, are a very good team, um, obviously. Uh, but what I'm trying to say is they're very good at bouncing back, and they've had two weeks to stew on um, on those those two really bad, really bad performance, poor performances, I should say. So I'm going to say th- quite a comprehensive win for Fulham here. I'm going to say three 0 I just I just can't see QPR breaking them down, and I can't see them keeping a clean sheet. So I can only go with Fulham on this one. I could see QPR scoring, but I struggled to see anything other than a Fulham win just because QPR have been so drab. Despite everything we've just been saying, they've been so drab in recent times and losing Willock is such a big blow. So I'll go for a Fulham win. Uh, both teams to score for me on that one. And finally, Justin, it's the South Wales derby. Cardiff v Swansea. Nothing at stake in this game but pride. But that will still mean an awful lot to these two sets of supporters. Not even on the telly, which I think is a bit disappointing mm. for neutrals like us, Justin. Um since there isn't much at stake in this game apart from pride, I thought I'd ask you the question, both teams right next to each other in the table, which one has had the better season? Mm. I would say I would say Swansea because it's been less less hairy, shall we say. You know, there was one point where we were thinking Cardiff might be going down, especially under that dreadful run at Mick McCarthy. Um and they are in such a I would say a, a little bit of a maybe a little bit of a state come this summer because there's a big rebuild that Steve Morrison needs to do. Whereas Swansea are, I think, much more ahead in this in that process. They're much more ahead in this rebuild process than than Cardiff. So I say Swansea have had the better season, um, but I, you could easily say both teams have, have flattered to, de- uh, to deceive at times. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't think either side has particularly had a great season, but I'd say Swansea have just probably had a slightly better season, mainly on the basis that if any, if at the start of the season, if either of those teams 
was going to get into the playoffs. I probably would have said Cardiff because mm-hmm. they still had, you know, Kiefer Moore when he was in top form and they were still very solid at the back. They were flying. Uh, they were still coming off the back of a really good end to last season under Mick McCarthy and it just went all to pot really, didn't it? And I don't think anyone was expecting Swansea to particularly pull up many trees this season no. despite them obviously getting in the playoffs last season. Um, so I'd say Swansea, and I think Swansea in general are just in a better position heading into next season as well, because as mm-hmm. you say, Cardiff have got a massive rebuilding job. Plenty of players are out of contract. There's a lot of who's staying, who's going um, from those players there. But at the same time, they have got a lot of young talent there who I think will be the basis for them and their success next season. But I like what Swansea are doing at the moment. They own a lot of the players that have been playing well for them as well, which Cardiff can't exactly say with the likes of Drame, Doyle, Hugel, etc. So I think Swansea are definitely heading into next season in a better position than Cardiff, who I'm not really sure what to make of heading into next season. It's going to be very interesting to see who's there in the summer. Um, very quickly then, just in a score prediction for you on this game. Well, someone's going to keep a clean sheet, aren't they? That's, that's the uh, that's the type uh, in this game, isn't it? Just just who's going to keep that clean sheet? Um, I would say Cardiff. I would say a one nil Cardiff win. I think Swansea will find it difficult to break them down. See, Morris on how them set up for this game. He's had two weeks to sort it out, and nothing to play for. This is something to play for. Me could say exactly the same about Swansea though with that logic, couldn't you? Well, exactly. That's what I mean. It's very difficult, very difficult to separate teams. But imagine towards Cardiff. All right, fair enough. I struggle to separate these two teams as well. Um, I'll probably say Cardiff just because they've got home advantage and that's the only thing I can really add on that point. (laughs) Right, Justin, let's have a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some of the news from the past few days and then we'll finish off with the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. A quick shout out for our YouTube channel. If you're not subscribed yet, make sure you head over to YouTube, Second Tier Pod, and subscribe for more content from us. We've got a video coming out. It may even be out by the time you listen to this. It's a video of the 11 players who are out of contract this summer. It's a, a team of players is a better way of putting it. So have a look at that. There is some. It, it, I tell you what, the standard of players who are out of contract this summer in the Championship, Justin, is astonishing compared to past mm-hmm. seasons. So if uh, you're on the lookout for some free talent this summer, head on over to our YouTube channel and you can see some of the best free talent available in the Championship this summer. Right, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and we'll begin with Derby, shall we? So the latest with their never-ending takeover is this. The administrators had set a new deadline for bids to be sent to them last week and they're now being considered again. A preferred bidder will be announced soon, but they've not set a deadline for that. Who really knows what's going on with this, with that whole thing at this point? It's... It's exhausting to say the very least. Well, it's as the Daily Mail says Derby County's potential buyers have been put off by the price of Pride Park. Of course, former owner Mel Morris sold the stadium to himself to get around FFP. And he reportedly wants £22 for it. This has taken the total price of buying Derby to over £50 Which obviously, when you're buying a club with huge debts anyway, and the potential, or the very likely potential to be in League One next season just makes the whole deal even less attractive, doesn't it? If anyone wants further evidence or needs further evidence of how much Mel Morris has bones Derby County, then here you go. 
yeah it's it's oh god almost exasperated by it but when you consider the fact that mel morris has riddled the club with debt loaded the club with debt he's removed its biggest asset and now wants money for that asset i think it's quite quite uh quite bold isn't it coming from him it's ridiculous to be quite frank and um it, it's put the club in a, a situation where honestly i have no idea if they'll be alive come the end of the season it's quite scary well d- Mel Morris is a Derby fan, isn't he? Um, <laughs> so he says, yeah. So he, so he says. He's already paid off the Steve Gibson Middlesbrough legal debacle. Mm-hmm. Um, if he was a true Derby fan, do you think he should just give back the stadium to the club? I'm, I'm not sure if it's as simple as that, but do you think an act of kindness to say sorry for putting the club in this absolute dustbin fire that it's in right now? Well, morally, yeah, that that would make complete sense because from the outside perspective, um, you know, no one's, no one from the inside, anyone from the inside, obviously, know because they're they, they're under the NDA, so they'll know exactly what the blockers are. But from the outside perspective, the the main blocker now is is trying to get the stadium as part of the deal. So, as a as a supporter of the club, if I was a multi millionaire worth over five hundred million pounds, um, I would possibly part with the stadium for a reduced price not necessarily for free but for a reduced price because again Mel Morris is an investor he needs to protect his investment but what he's done with this investment is he completely shafted it he's lost all of his money he spent too much money he's lost it all now he needs to cut his losses and say right that's 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 me done because what's what's the stadium going to be worth in six months time when Derby don't exist nothing well the thing is how's he going to make any money of it Exactly. It. Worth I know. Who, who wants to? <laughs> how are you going to make money from this empty stadium? Um, obviously, Derby will want to continue playing there. So it, it's all just. I mean, we all know it's a big mess anyway. I'm just preaching to the choir at this point, aren't I? So <laughs> yeah, it's a. It's it's all a mess. And speaking of messes, following on from this, the Telegraph says. It's likely Derby will have another points deduction next season. It's apparently because none of the takeover bids on the table currently comply with EFL insolvent or insolvency regulations. So even more good news for Derby fans, Justin. Yeah, well, it's one big dubs of fire. But um, I've also I've, I've read as well uh, from numerous accountants um, that the the bid covers the current bids. They they will cover the insolvency practices. So. The, it's just the stadium that is the stumbling block. Um, Mel Morris wants an extra twenty-two million pounds, whereas the club's only valued at thirty million pounds because of the debt. So, if the stadium comes free, then they should avoid that deduction. Interesting. Moving on from Derby, then Reading midfielder Andy Venomoto's season's over. It's because of a knee injury. That's a bit of a concern for them, isn't it? Because he's been such a dependable player, not just this season, but for numerous seasons for Reading, hasn't he? Yeah, he's missed a seven out of ten every week, which isn't a criticism. If you can get a midfielder who puts in that level of performance on a consistent basis, especially in the championship, then they are a massive asset to your team. And his partnership with Josh Lawrence last, last season was absolutely tremendous and the bedrock of, of the success they had last season. Not quite happened this season, but he's still been Mr. Consistent and Mr. Dependable. And I've seen a lot of fans saying that might be his last appearance in a Reading shirt in his last game because obviously he's, out, he's one of those players out of contract as well. Hmm. And he'll have offers from elsewhere, I imagine, oh, yeah. as well, won't he? He's only, 
he's mid twenties, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Still got yeah. his best years ahead of him. So, yeah, a bit concerning for Reading. And speaking of more concern for Reading, Yaku Mate is also likely to miss the remainder of the season because of an ankle problem. A very big player for Reading, isn't he? But he has struggled to get back into the side since coming back from injury. Either way, not ideal. Speaking of Reading, their former star striker Dave Kitson has pulled out of a Reading Legends match because he says he feels uncomfortable endorsing what the football club stands for today. Something I found quite interesting, Justin. Yeah, I saw quite a few Reading fans saying they wouldn't be surprised if more Legends drop out of that matchup. But it's quite interesting that Dave Kitson has come out with that. Um... Okay, Justin, well done. You've just been bleeped from the podcast. I knew as soon as I mentioned Dave Kitson, you were going to say that. I think people will be able to guess what you said there, but we can't say that you've been bleeped. Moving on. Sheffield United, uh, transfer news now. Sheffield United have signed defender Filip Uremovic on a deal to the end of the season. He was with Rubin Kazan in Russia before his contract was suspended due to the war in Ukraine. Reading have signed centre-back Terrell Thomas on a deal until the end of the season. And the defender has been on trial with the Royals after spending the first half of the season at Crewe. The Express and Star says Jason Malumbi staying at West Brom next season. His loan from Brighton is being made permanent because of an agreement uh, that was made that if he played enough games, then it would become a transfer. Interestingly, it's thought he's only going for 900 grand, which I think is a decent bit of business, Justin. Yeah, I'd be very happy with that. They, he's a good young player as well. A lot of room to grow and I just don't think he's been given enough opportunity this season. He's been a bit more of a squad player but he's certainly one of those players type of players that can that can grow and become a a big player for a team I think yeah 900 grand bargain especially especially now as well yeah great great sign for for a young player I know he Mm -hmm. hasn't impressed too many West Brom fans but I think that's a really decent bit of business especially if he does go on to be the player that he was looking like he was going to be at Millwall last season the Daily Mail is reporting Leeds interested in Forest midfielder James Garner he's currently on loan at Man United who it's claimed may consider a permanent sale he's someone I expect probably will be a Premier League regular next season, Justin. Would you like to see him stay at Forest next season if indeed they did go up? Certainly, yeah. He's a player who is massively impressive. I'd be surprised if Man United would want to let him go because I think he's one of those players that maybe could break into the first team. Uh, but as you say, he's a, he's, a, he's a player that needs to be playing Premier League football next season. He's he's uh, This system under Steve Cooper suits him to a team. Obviously, if Forest get into the Premier League, they need to make a bit for him. Yeah, it would be a big signing for them. But if they don't, I can't see him playing another season in the Championship. Nick Pope could be on his way to Fulham if they go up and Burnley go down. That's according to The Sun, who said they need to fork out £20 million for his services. I'd have thought goalkeeper is one position that Fulham are actually all right in. Because poor old Marit Rodak. This would be the second time he's been promoted as the club's number one goalkeeper. And then as soon as they get to the Premier League, he's replaced. I think he's a good keeper. I think he's a good keeper who deserves a chance. Um, I think he, yeah, he definitely deserves a chance. And Fulham could well save themselves twenty million quid for Nick Pope, who is a good keeper, but doesn't doesn't impress me on a week by week basis. I don't think. Hmm. A lot of people have been hyping Nick Pope up for many years now, saying he should be England's number one instead of Jordan Pickford. No. I've I've never really got that hype. I think he's a very good goalkeeper, and I think if Fulham did go and get him, then fair enough. But I've never really been as impressed with him as people have been made out. I think he, 
And no, I'll leave that there. Jude Bellingham's younger brother is being monitored by Borussia Dortmund. That's from the Daily Mail, who says 16-year-old Joby has impressed while playing for Birmingham's under-23s. I mean, before Justin, they retired the number 22 in honour of Jude when he left. I think the real hero here is their dad. I think they should end up naming the stadium after the way this is going. Uh, Bournemouth have announced pre-tax profits of £17 million for last season. It's mainly down to the sales of the likes of Nathan Ake, Aaron Ramsdale... Interesting to note that their wage bill was £57 million, something which I said could be a bit of a problem if they missed out on promotion this season, but obviously isn't looking like an issue right now. And then finally, that moves me swiftly on to a report by Sheffield Hallam University, which says championship clubs with parachute payments are three times more likely to be promoted. The authors say that the uh, parachute payments, this is, that they distort competition and fuel unsustainable losses at other clubs, something that we've seen with Derby, Sheffield United, Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday, Reading, Bristol City, Middlesbrough. The, the list, list of clubs is aimless, is endless, isn't it? But um, yeah, it's not really too surprising this news, is it, Justin? We've all been saying it. We just needed the big wigs to come out and say it and make it official. And now it is. That should hopefully lead to a little bit more conversation with those at the top. And hopefully the EFL can say, look, we've got this actual factual study here that we can that we can use as a bit more of a, uh, a levy, a bit more of a negotiation tactic because... Yeah, the money does distort the league. It doesn't take a genius to work it out. But frankly, thankfully, we've we've had them do that for us. Well, it's the EFL who have commissioned this actual study. So you'd hope this will actually lead to some sort of action because yeah. the lack of talk of anything actually changing is what concerns me the most about you know parachute payments and how money is just completely fluctuating everything in the league. So hopefully this is the sign of things actually changing. Right, now it's time for this. <laughs> All right, all right. Settle down, you lot. It's time for the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Thank you, Mr. Bartender. This is the game where Justin and I try to guess a mystery championship legend. This week, I'm giving Justin six clues on a player who's made at least 200 championship appearances. All he's got to do is guess who it is. It's 13-10 to myself for the season. If Justin Peach fails to get this right, I've won the Craig Bryson pub quiz 2021. 2022. It's already impossible for Justin to win. We found that out last week. The best he can do now is draw, but I can wrap it all up right here if Justin fails to get this right. Justin, are you feeling the pressure? No, no. As a, uh, you know, one thing I've not said is I won a cup file on Sunday, so I am, I'm in, I've got momentum. I'm in good form. I, you know, didn't feel pressure at the weekend. Don't feel pressure now. Let's, let's do this. We'll see if that's the case in two minutes' time. <laughs> do you want the first clue? Yes, yes, yes. I've made 240 appearances at championship level, scoring 11 goals. Chris Morgan. It's not Chris Morgan, but good to have mentioned. I made my professional debut in 2002 for Boston United while on loan from Man City. Craig Fagan. No, it's not Craig Fagan. Surely he scored more than 11 goals, hasn't he? It wasn't. Maybe he did. It wasn't that prolific when he was at Derby. Yeah, probably did. I've played for four clubs at Championship level, including Bolton, Charlton, and Leicester. I've played for four clubs, being named three. Yeah, uh, Justin, I've said this a million times before. If I've left out a club, that means he's probably very well known for playing for mm-hmm. that other club. 
so you went to Boston on loan from Manchester City. Yes. And he's played for Bolton. He's played for this Bolton. This is the typical Justin Peach tactic, ladies and gentlemen, no, no, where he no, reads no. out all the clues I've already given him. Just breaking it down. Um, I'm a superman. I need to break it down. So he's played for Bolton, Leicester. What was the other team? Charlton. Um, so I'm going to say... Ah, uh, no. Next clue. I suffered a series of injury problems throughout my career and was forced to retire at the age of 33 after only making 18 appearances in the final three years of my career before calling it a day. Oh, that doesn't help anybody. Um... Made his debut in 2002, by the way. Yeah. But he played for Bolton in the championship. Mm. So that was 2012, 2013, 2013, 2014. He's also played for Charlton. Could have been a part of that Charlton team. It's the Leicester one. The Leicester one. Now we're cooking. Now we're cooking. It's that Leicester spell. Um, If you want a clue... He's more known for playing for Leicester out of those teams. I make the I make some sort of sort um, sequence like Paul Dickov came to my head, but then it's like it's eleven goals, um, and he was definitely fifty when he retired. Uh, I don't know. Um, next clue. I'm not thinking about positions. I was born and raised in Dublin but I've never played for the Irish national team despite being called up. Doesn't help anybody. In works. Spanner firmly in works. Mm. Doesn't help anybody. Charlton, Leicester, Bolton. I I would forget about Bolton. I would forget about Bolton. Boston, 2002. Yeah, I I would also forget about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Uh, nuts. Um, a lot of time wasting going on here. Yeah, again. yeah, yeah. Give, give me the final clue then. I'm now an under-23s coach at Crystal Palace, a club where I made over 150 appearances. <laughs> the look in Justin Peach's eyes right now. It's quite got a, it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Paddy McCarthy. I was convinced you weren't going to get that. It I, was. I, I thought the clues there were, were good because they were leading up to being more more obvious as the time went on, and I just thought at no point that you were even close to getting it. It would. It would have been. It would have been really unfair to leave out Crystal Palace, but Crystal Palace played such a big part in his career. Um. Didn't realise he came through the Man City Academy. I yeah, I completely strange. forgot about Man City actually. Charlton passed me by. I knew he was at Leicester. He was at Leicester a long time ago. <laughs> it was his first yeah. club, wasn't it? Probably. First I was helping you out. Leicester. I was helping you out. See, by saying he was mainly for Leicester, and you should just completely forget about Bolton because that's a very forgettable spell. Well, mm. Paddy McCarthy, ladies and gentlemen, good to have mentioned on the show. And this has been the second tier podcast. This has been our midweek show. We've been looking ahead to the championship games coming up this weekend ahead of a, another tumultuous weekend of championship action. And we'll be back again on Sunday to talk about it all. So we look forward to seeing you then. So this has been the second tier. We'll be back again on Sunday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.